Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and today we are continuing our series on the story of our Great Loop. Today we've got Randy and Kathy with us, and they did the Great Loop on a, a larger boat for the Great Loop. It's a West Bay Sunship, and we'll let them give you all of the details about their boat. Before I officially introduce Randy and Kathy, I do want to take a moment, as I always do, to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, and Skipper Bob Publications, and of course, Waterway Guide Media, which owns Skipper Bob Publications. So they're kind of one in the same, but uh, two sponsors. So we appreciate all of those Admiral sponsors. And with the business out of the way, Randy and Kathy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. We're pretty excited to do this for you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. We, of course, um, had some time to catch up last summer in Georgian Bay. We ended up in Perry Sound at the same time, which was really neat because I hadn't seen you since um, when you did the loop a few years back at one of our spring rendezvous, I think I remember. Um, because oh, and as we'll get yeah. into, your, your boat's pretty memorable when you see it coming into a harbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, yes, that's for sure. We do get, we do get queries about it. Yeah, when, you, well, when you're uh, when you're flagged in Honduras and have a motorcycle up on the fly uh, fly bridge, and generally people gather around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's two things you don't see a whole lot, especially on a looper boat. So we'll talk about that because I think there's probably um, motorcycle enthusiasts whose ears have perked up and they are now listening intently to see how you pulled that off on a great loop boat. Um, but let's kind of start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about um, the two of you and your boating experience before the Great Loop, because you did boat extensively before you took off on the Loop. Yeah, we had, uh, I guess, a, a few pocket cruisers is what I call them, uh, 24 and 30 foot uh, cruisers that you could spend the night on, kind of weekend cruising. Um, we upgraded to uh, a 33 foot chaparral and we had a, a home on the navigatable waterway, so we started cruising extensively, um, and we're getting further and further abroad and, and started learning more about navigation and rather than just going to the sandbar for the weekend party kind of thing. And, and uh, we heard about the, the Great Loop back in the 90s from one of our friends, and, and uh, we often thought that it would be neat to do that. Never really planned for it or considered it, but... Uh, as uh, as time went on and, and we got a little more experience under our belt and we'd done the uh, we lived in Canada and, and we had done the uh, the Trent Severn a couple of times and we went through locks from where our home was to uh, get into Georgian Bay and cruise that area and we had friends and family uh, with the homes and cottages in Georgian Bay so we always had places to go um so eventually, uh, we decided that we're we're going to upgrade and spend more time uh, cruising and and try and get further abroad. Um, arguably, uh, the Great Lakes is uh, the best freshwater boating in the world. Um, so not taking advantage of that when when you are a boating enthusiast uh, is a little silly. So, so that's kind of where we got started. Um, and then, uh, and then we upgraded to uh, our 58 foot and, and we chose it more for our lifestyle uh, rather than to do the loop. And then, uh, and then once we had it and we were halfway around, we just kind of accidentally said, you know, 
instead of storing it for the winter uh, this time, why don't we head down the inland rivers? At least we'll be able to say we completed our roof and, <laughs> loop and, uh, and we can store it in Florida for the winter instead of, uh, instead of in Canada. So, so that was basically uh, uh, the long and short of how we got started and, uh, and how we got to where we are. Yeah, so the first half of the loop, you, you bought the boat in Florida, correct? And moved it up the right. east coast to get it back to your home yeah. in Canada. So right. tell us about the boat. You know, tell us uh, what kind of boat. Give us her specs and, and um, your thoughts on it as a looping boat. So it's a, it's a custom-built uh, yacht. Uh, they're built in, in Delta, B.C. and, uh, and in uh, Seattle, Washington. Um, they're 58 foot, feet long, th three cabins, uh, three staterooms in it. Um, fairly complicated systems. It, uh, it comes with, uh, you know, twin engines and, and uh, dual controls, pilots, a raised pilot house. So you have uh, flybridge and, and pilot house controls. And then uh, also uh, controls on the, uh, on the aft deck. <clears throat> and, um, you know, all the conveniences of home, if you will, the washer dryer and microwave and ovens and stoves and full size fridges and ice makers, water maker, water makers and mm -hmm. all the all the fun stuff. Um, so it's a bit more complicated than than most boats that you would need to do the loop, um, but it's what we had and uh, it's what we needed for the lifestyle we were living at the time, and uh, and so. Uh, that was what we did the loop with. It's a deep draft, it's about five and a half feet. Um, so it's a little nerve wracking um, if you're not used to dealing with that. Um, you certainly couldn't do the Trent Severn in it or I wouldn't recommend it, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you'd want something a little shallower to do that with. Uh, there's some skinny water in there and, and it's unforgiving in the Canadian Shield. Um, but going through the through the uh, Welland Canal is another experience, and so you know being able to experience that on your loop, and and you can always get back into Georgian Bay by going up around the the Bruce Peninsula and through Tobermory and some of those areas, and and it's a nice cruise up that way as well. There's some wonderful ports there, and if you really don't want to go into Canada, you can you know for, for the Americans you can continue up the Michigan coast, and and you don't even really need to. Uh, to go into Canada, but you'd miss some of the, the best parts of, uh, of the Great Lakes, Georgian Bay and, and the North Channel are, are spectacular boating areas. Yeah, absolutely beautiful areas to cruise. Um, what's the typical cruising speed for you? Um, we found our sweet spot at about uh, 10 knots. Um, the, the boat, the, the, the actual cruising speed of the boat because it's a semi-displacement um, is generally about uh, 16, 17 knots, um, but you're, you know, you're burning arguably 50 or 60 gallons an hour uh, of fuel, and uh, at 10 knots, we're burning 12 gallons of fuel an hour. So that uh, helps make the decision. So that that certainly helps make the decision, and at that's the same a big time, difference. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, at the same time, you know, we're kind of lucky lose. We like. Uh, we like enjoying our cruise. We like looking around. Uh, we like moving around the boat when we're underway. Uh, and, uh, and and so going fast uh, uh, takes a little bit of that away and uh, and doesn't allow you to do some of the stuff that you want to do. Yeah, yeah, well, you know that um, 
the perch our boat has been around the loop a few times at this point um and michael did it aboard at a much faster pace the first time um 10 knots has been our sweet spot this time too and i've I've been the stickler for that uh largely because of that difference in fuel burn and because fuel prices have been so high and of course they are coming down some but um, they were kind of at their peak um during our loop and we're starting to look at those numbers as much as i said i really didn't want to know um and the cost for fuel is probably going to be about the same on this loop as it was on his last loop even though we went much slower and it's just the difference in the price per gallon or per liter and he's just shaking his head going i we went so slow how did this happen um so (laughs) you know i think we uh, i think we spent uh uh, five thousand on fuel to get from the great lakes down to florida and Mm -hmm. or a little under five thousand and it would probably cost us 10000 today because of when we were on the loop, uh, I think fuel was between $2 and $2.25. And so you're, five, you're close to five bucks now anywhere on the water. So, yeah, that's exactly his problem. problem. <laughs> you know, we probably burned um, half the fuel as his last loop, but spent the same amount of money. So not fun, but, you know, it's one of those things that it is what it is. You've planned for this. And um, yeah. yes, the fuel bill was substantially more than we had planned um but you know we were already up in the great lakes when it really or at least in new york when it started to peak so what are the options at that point (laughs) turn around and burn the fuel to go back to charleston and then you know pay for slippage for another year and so we kept going and we're so happy that we did but um so we're talking about the boat let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the motorcycle um since you are remain the only boat i know of that took a motorcycle with them on the loop well, it, again, it was uh, it was part of our lifestyle decision. Um, I'm a I've owned a bike for many many years and, and go on on bike rides and and, it, and it, the biking community is much like the RVing community, which is much like the boating community. Um, you know, once you're out there, um, everybody kind of gathers around and and it's a, pretty much a social event. Um, and so. I had the room on the deck. I had to do some some reconfiguring and make a cradle for it. And I had the davit that could get it up and down. And and uh, and so I just decided, you know, you never know what we're going to do. Um, you know, we were thinking about running up and down the east coast and doing some some uh, extensive cruising. So it's always nice to have wheels when you get to where you're going. There's not always cars available, and there's not always uh, uh, transportation available. So it was handy to be able to just unload the motorcycle and go for a ride uh, inland and and visit friends and family and those types of things and and places and stuff. So so it was a fairly we already already had the motorcycle, so it was just a matter of making a cradle and and figuring out how to get it up and down. Yeah. And then uh, it it became certainly a, a I don't know, a, a, a proud attraction whenever we're loading or unloading it in a marina. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, lowering the bike onto the dock is always interesting. Um, you know, it does draw a crowd, makes me very anxious, and I don't know why, because it runs smooth as silk every single time, but it's pretty interesting watching that bike hang over the side of the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, so most people would use that davit for their tender. <laughs> So yeah. do you have a tender aboard or did you yeah, yeah. opt out of a tender in favor of a motorcycle? No, no, no. The the tender goes behind the motorcycle. Motorcycle goes on first and then the tender goes on. And, and, uh, and then unloading, of course, it's opposite. To, 
for for a lot of the time, um, because we anchor out quite a bit, um, and we and we like dinging around, we're generally towing our, our tender mm -hmm. uh, behind the boat, and particularly in the Great Lakes. Uh, and so uh, the motorcycle sits up on top, and and we tow the tender, and and uh, so we have access to both if we need to. Uh, we, we generally don't unload the motorcycle when we're at anchor, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be nice if we could. <laughs> so um, you did mention that you anchor a lot. One of the things I like to ask all of our gold loopers is tell us a little bit about your cruising style or your, you know, your cruising preferences. How many miles per day did you typically travel? We already talked about 10 knots being your sweet spot, but did you largely anchor or largely use marinas? Um, those kinds of things. Um. I would say on average, we would be probably a 50, 50, um, yeah. we, uh, we were pretty self-sufficient. Um, so we don't, we really only need to go into port for fuel or, or a pump out unless we're in the Bahamas or offshore. Um, so, uh, we, we would generally cruise until, I don't know, mid early afternoon, mid afternoon, and particularly mm -hmm. if there was a place we wanted to be. Uh, whether it was an anchorage or a, or a town with a marina. And, uh, and then we would explore that town or that anchorage with the dinghy or do, do the things that was causing us to stop there and have a look around. And, uh, and so it would depend on what it was, you know, what area we were in. Um, the odd time, especially on the inland rivers, uh, there, were, um, there were times that we anchored simply because that's all there was in the area. Uh, right reach we would typically do 50 to 100 miles a day um not much more than 100 uh, 100 miles would be a big day for us uh, we'd be leaving you know right at sun up and and getting in you know uh, 12 hours later basically to get 100 miles or so um particularly if there was locks or bridges that we had to wait for we have done a couple of night cruises we did you know, traveled all night, all day, and all night, and all day, and all night. So um, that that puts a whole different spin on things. And but, did you do um, that during your loop, or was that uh, before or after? Um, both. Oh, uh, yeah. the first bought the boat in Fort Lauderdale when we came up. We were, like I say, we were in a in a rush to kind of get back to Canada. Um, we had a target date of uh, of July first to pick up some friends in Canada. And uh, so we we left uh, Norfolk and pulled into the Chesapeake about uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. And we were thinking we'd just uh, cruise up and maybe anchor in one of the spots just uh, north along the coast. And and it was a, a beautiful afternoon. The weather was perfect. And we thought, well, what the heck? You know, it's a fairly big bay. Not much in your way. You can you can hunker down and head her up. So we just timed it so that. Uh, we got to the north end of the bay by seven in the morning and down through the Delaware. And we thought we'd stick our nose out at uh, uh, Cape Fear and, and uh, or Cape May. And, and uh, it was another beautiful afternoon. So we thought, well, we might as well keep going. So we headed all the way up and, and uh, pulled into a Sandy Hook about uh, midnight, I think, that night. Wow. That's so, a pretty long uh, passage. Yeah, she was a she was a big long passage, but you know there's four of us on board, so everybody could get a rest and yeah. 
Gotcha. We were going by Atlantic City. It was kind of funny. Uh, must have been about seven or eight or not. No, just after dark. Must have been about nine o'clock because this was in the spring. Yeah. And, uh, and they set off fireworks for us going by. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think there was some sort of celebration or something going on. <laughs> we decided it was for us. Our... We decided it was for us. <laughs> so one more question specific to the boat. Um, 58 feet is not, it's certainly on the larger side for looper boats by length, but there are others that are out there. But the five and a half foot draft is probably more of a hindrance. Um, the length really doesn't cause any issues. Did you mentioned that, you know, you didn't feel like you could do the Trent Severin in that. Any other issues related to having a little bit of a deeper draft than some other boats? Um, well, certainly there's uh, some issues getting in and out of some of the marinas uh, that have the skinny water. Grafton, as an example, you got to mm -hmm. kind of uh, make sure the pool levels are, are accommodating you. You know, we were plowing a little bit of mud getting in and out of there. Um, we stopped at, uh, at Ivy uh, Yacht Club and, and you're plowing a little bit of mud getting in and out of there as well. Um, but other than that, it really didn't restrict us. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have bought that boat to to do the loop because of the inland rivers. Um, you know, it's got exposed running gear and and it makes you fairly vulnerable. And particularly with the deep draft, I wouldn't have done it. But like I say, it's what we had and, and it was doable. Uh, we never really had any issues. But, you know, over the years, I think we've had the boat 10 years. We ding, certainly dinged the props of a few times with some of the places that we like to try and get into, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, it's never really caused us any grief. Um, one of the funny stories, uh, we were going through the lock just before Hoppies and we pulled out and all of a sudden there's a big vibration uh, on the boat. And, and uh, so I called ahead to uh, to Fern and, and uh, talked to her. So she said, no problem, pull in, we'll get a diver out here in the morning. So uh, we limped in on one engine and uh, the diver came out and uh, by eight o'clock he had probably a three foot high pile of, uh, of uh, barge uh, uh, rope that they used to tie the barges together. It's great big, I don't know, four inch or six inch uh, uh, rope that was all wrapped around the prop and the shaft. <laughs> he pulled it up and covered the entire transom. Maybe it was... It was Covered the entire swim platform yeah. on that boat. Yeah. Wow. Good thing there was a diver in, in close proximity for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and let's take a break and play some messages from our sponsors. Um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the other pretty unique thing you mentioned about your boat, other than the boat itself, and that is that it is flagged uh, in Honduras. So um, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about how that affects the loop as well. Um, we'll be back in a moment. Cutterman Marine Services is a vessel relocation and delivery service owned and operated by retired and former members of the U.S. Coast Guard. They have crews ready to exceed your expectations wherever your vessel is located. In addition to relocation and delivery services, they offer a host of other marine services such as new owner training. Check out their website at www.cuttermanllc.com or call 855-65-BOATS. You have a lot invested in your boat. Why would you trust it to someone other than the Cutterman? Cutterman Marine Services. Professional, knowledgeable, capable, experienced. Life is better by the bay. Here in Panama City, Florida, we have deep blue water surrounded by arts and culture. 
We love our historic neighborhoods, southern coastal cuisine, and the songs and stories of our locals. And we're sure you will, too. If you're traveling along America's Great Loop, drop your anchor at St. Andrew's Bay in Panama City and enjoy easy access to waterfront restaurants and shopping, a favorite among loopers. Land or water, you're going to love it here. Visit DestinationPanamaCity.com and learn more. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we are continuing our story of our loop series with Randy and Kathy. They did the loop in a West Bay Sunship, a 58 foot. And uh, we have already talked about the fact that Randy brings his Harley with him uh, and carries that on the deck. But the other thing that kind of draws some attention for you two is um, the flag, since you are flagged Honduras. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, specifically how that affects doing the loop, because we do have more and more folks coming from international locations to do the loop, um, you know, some additional hoops usually for them to jump through. So tell us how, how you went about that. Yeah, well, uh, some of the hoops that they have to jump through are quite as complicated for us because we're Canadian citizens, so we don't have that, uh, that issue. Um, the boat itself, uh, the, when you enter the U.S., uh, you can get a, a year-long cruising permit, mm -hmm. um, which which manages to have the boat in there for for a year. Um, as Canadian citizens, we can stay in the U.S. for up to uh, six months uh, without having to exit. So there's just a matter of uh, timing it. So either uh, well, as a Canadian, uh, you're generally exiting the U.S. to go to the Bahamas on your loop. Um, arguably the best saltwater boating in the world. So why wouldn't you go there? Um, and so it, it generally looks after itself uh, as you're doing the loop as a Canadian. The foreigners from Australia and the Netherlands that I've seen uh, that are uh, AGLCA members, um, it, it's a little bit more complicated for them um, because they have different um, uh, personal visitation lengths of stay. Um, and I'm not 100% familiar with uh, how all that works, but it's a it's a bit more complicated. Um, it's also more complicated if you're going to buy um, a U.S. flag boat as a foreigner and and then try to operate operate it in U.S. waters as a foreigner. So uh, there's some complications to that type of uh, setup. But for us, um, entering the U.S. was pretty simple. Um, entering Canada is the same type of thing. Uh, uh, we can keep the boat in Canada for six months uh, without exiting. Um, and you don't have to exit for uh, 15 days like you do in the U.S. after your your cruising permit is, is up. You have to exit the U.S. for 15 days before you can renew it. In Canada, we can just pop across the border into the U.S. because it's a border country. Uh, most of the Great Lakes are, are have a border uh, for each of the countries, so it's pretty simple just to pop across spend the night, come back, and then you re-enter for another six months. Um, storage, if you're gonna, you know, if your six months is up uh, or your time is gonna be over in, in Canada, uh, you, there's a, a way to go through uh, a process where you can get an extension and keep the boat there for up to a year as well. So uh, a few years when we stored the, the boat in Canada, we would just get that extension when we were storing it and, and uh, and it would uh, be safe and sound there as well. So, so for us, it really wasn't that uh, complicated. You just had you, you had to do some research and you had to understand the regulations and and uh, um, 
you know, they aren't put into place to deter uh, people from doing it. It's, it's just, yeah, how do you work with them to, to make it work for you? That's all. But having said all that, we, we have been boarded um, probably three times, possibly four by Homeland Security. Um, and I think simply because we were flagged, Hunter, and they were always wonderful. There was never any problem. They were always extremely polite and very mm -hmm. kind when they came on board. But the flag stopped, made them stop and made, up, made them stop us. So that was, it was an interesting encounter. So sure. that was, yeah. Yep. Well, we were, we were cruising up the St. Mary's River towards Lake Superior uh, one year, and they specifically pulled us over because yeah. we had a Honduran flag. They couldn't believe there was a, a <laughs> ship from Honduras that far north. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the officers uh, that was on the uh, Homeland Security detail was from Honduras, so he wanted to talk to us and find out where we were from. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah. So, so it, it creates those types of interactions and, and particularly at marinas when you pull in and you know did you bring the boat all the way from Honduras and how do you get the motorcycle up top and mm -hmm. you know all of that stuff and so it, it creates some some good conversations you meet some good people because of it and, and uh, actually the, some of them uh, have become boating friends uh, over the years and, yeah. and uh, we've been extended time with them when they were in their area yeah that's so good uh, it's one of those things yeah, well, and that's very helpful information for non-U.S. citizens who are considering doing the loop. We do have a webinar for any Canadians who are listening that is free to our members that kind of goes over um, the details for Canadians from the boat's perspective, from the people's perspective, um, because it's it's essentially all about immigration and taxation. Um, so that's all out there. If there's others listening that are from other countries, um, the parts for the boat apply the same way basically that cruising permit um, that randy mentioned is still uh, what you need for the boat um, and we can help you with other details so um, info at greatloop.org is the best way to reach out and um, we can you know based on the specifics of our listeners we can give you a little bit more information on that um, but tell us a little bit you know in a trip that is full of highlights um, pick out a few of what you consider kind of the biggest highlights of your great loop Oh my God! <laughs> I don't know where you would start and where you would end. You know, there's everything from dolphins swimming off your bow. For for us, I guess basically the it was the uh, the wildlife and the scenery and some of the um, the beauty of the nat our natural surroundings. It was probably our biggest highlights. Um, you know, we've been urbanites uh, for most of our life, so the big city lights didn't really attract us that much, but but some of that uh, that nature is, is spectacular and in in its own way all all around the loop. I found Tangiers Island absolutely as unique and charming as possible. Um, of course, um, you know the Georgian Bay is one of my favorites. But cruising into New York and um, you know. The Statue of Liberty is pretty spectacular. I didn't realize how beautiful she is, like <laughs> until you're really close to her. So um, I really, really thought that was a pretty moving moment. You know, yeah. you know, the, you arguably you have the best freshwater boating in the world with the Great Lakes. You have the best brackish water boating in the world with the Chesapeake Bay, yeah. and you have the best saltwater boating, you know, with the Bahamas. And so you you have the the best of all three worlds 
you know, uh, that's included in this little trip. And, and uh, so anybody that's a, you know, that's a boater, you know, you would spend a lifetime trying to do all of that in, in a year. And, and uh, one of the things that really struck me about the loop is that you get to experience all three of those worlds in, mm-hmm. you know, in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great point. A lot of people talk about um, the different um, scenery and you, you kind of mentioned that, you know, the bright lights of the cities versus the, the ruralness and the peacefulness of Anchorages. But you're right, from the waterway perspective as well, you're getting a little bit of everything. Um, last question before we wrap up, any other advice you would give to someone who's just now contemplating taking on the Great Loop? Well, I certainly have. I mean, my advice is to become a weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, I mean, yes, everybody talks about knowing your boat and having boating skills and understanding the rules and of the waterways and all those things are, are extremely vital and important. But I, I think for me personally, learning how to read the weather, and I'm still not very good at it, but mm-hmm. it's really important. And it's important before you're underway and while you're underway, because you know very often, as you know, the, the storms can come up while you're underway. And being able to thread that needle makes all the difference. You know, if you can, yeah. you know, run from the storm or run into the storm or whatever it is you need to do and you know understanding what what the radars are telling you and what the what the weather reports are telling you i just can't um express that enough i think it's really important it makes all the difference between a good cruise and a bad cruise that's great (laughs) advice yeah how about you randy for me it's uh you know uh, we're all very um anticipatory about entering new waters it's all unfamiliar um uh, a lot of it, you, you know, we all have our home waters and we're all very familiar with and it, and it seems like there, there's nothing to it. But but that uh, that little bit of uh, uh, hesitancy to, to go into the unknown um, stops a lot of people from doing it. But fundamentally, you know, you're planning, you know, 50 to 100 mile cruises and, and those aren't difficult to do. Uh, you, you, you can plan a, a 50 mile cruise you know, fairly simplistically, you just have to do that, you know, a hundred or 120 times. Right. And, <laughs> and the loop is over. And so, it, it you know, it, it's not quite as simple as Michael Malley uh, says, you know, you just take a bunch of left turns and, you know, you're back where you started. <laughs> right. But, but it is fairly simplistic if you take it a, a step at a time and a day at a time. Um, and the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And, and it's, and it's actually, it's it's a very relatively easy uh, journey to to embark on, um, and I think fear uh, stops a lot of people. Um, we've noticed it in in a lot of our home marinas. Uh, there's people that never get off the dock. They just mm-hmm. use their boat for a weekend cabin, and they don't understand what they're missing out on uh, simply because they don't want to learn or take the risk or whatever it is that's stopping them. And uh, but people that that are are avid boaters uh, to go on the loop is relatively pain free. Um, <laughs> it, it's just uh, it's just you know throw off the lines and make your first fifty mile trip and and uh, just keep doing that every day. 
Yeah. And I should have mentioned your boat is named Persistence. Um, so I know I said I had the last one was the last question, but I do have another one. Um, how, <laughs> what is, how is that name meaningful to you? Why did you choose Persistence? Well, it's, uh, it's kind of been um, my personal model. And, uh, and so when we bought our boat and, and we're trying to figure out a name, so Kathy said, well, you've been fairly persistent about this, so maybe that's a good name. Randy likes persistence beats resistance. So um, that's how we got the name. <laughs> and it's not, you know, every, every loop is different. Ours, you know, there, there certainly were challenges. We, you know, we had some issues. We talked about Hopkins, but, you know, we had other issues as we went around. And uh, I can't say enough good things about the AGLCA. Uh, I've been a lifetime member since I, I first uh, uh, joined up uh, way back when to get some information. And, uh, you know, without the, the, the people in that association, I, it, it made it so easy for us. Uh, whenever we needed information, uh, Joe Pekka was uh, cruising full time back then. He was a wealth of information. Jim Healy is still a wealth of information on a daily basis. Uh, Tom Conrad was alive then and, and providing the weather uh, information for our crossings. And, you know, some of those people, um, are, and they're producing new ones, you know, the Herb Seatons of the world and the Foster mm -hmm. uh, of, the, of the world, uh, you know, they, they keep paying it forward. And uh, and I think that the association has, is probably the most valuable resource that anybody could have. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. We we try hard to make it that way. And you're right, those people that you mentioned and, and you know, it's just a really fabulous group of people who are really sharing and giving of their knowledge and everybody got help along the way. And everybody has that, you know, idea of paying it forward, which is part of what makes it such a, a neat group. So um, agree with you wholeheartedly. And it was great hearing you mention some of those names from uh, some of our, uh, you know, perennial helpers there who, who continue to share great information all the time. Um, so I know, Persistence is for sale. She's probably in a in storage somewhere. I'm thinking since you usually keep her in Canada, is she um in storage yeah, for the in, winter. Yeah, it's in uh, Port Huron, Michigan, right now. And mm -hmm. yes, we've decided to uh, to move on. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't know whether we're going to uh, downgrade or we're going to you know get back to uh, the dirt yacht or or just exactly what we're going to do. But mm -hmm. it's uh, you know it's getting a, uh, we're getting a little bit on an age now, and it's a little bit big for what we need. Uh, our lifestyle has changed, and and uh, getting the Harley on and off uh, is getting to be more of a chore. Well. We maybe keep her feet underneath her and, and then it's easier to get on and off it for an old fellow like me. <laughs> well, good luck with the sale. I know there we have more and more families um, doing the Great Loop. And um, while they're not as concerned about the size, the three staterooms is a really big boon to a family who are looking to do the loop. So um, best of luck with the sale of Persistence. And thank you both so much for sharing some of the details of your journey. It was really a pleasure speaking with you today. You are more than welcome. Thank you so much, Jim. You're very welcome. And to everyone who has listened today, thank you for listening to the Great Loop Radio podcast. We will be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising.